My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast and ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. For several months now, we've been walking behind Christ and watching what he's doing as recorded in the gospel accounts in the Bible. Today, as we follow Jesus once more, we come to an incident in which Christ seems to have gotten his situation incorrect, very possibly to the great harm of a couple of his best friends. When a messenger came to Jesus with the news that one of his close friends, a man named Lazarus, was sick, Christ's response was as follows, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But Lazarus did die. Further, you can imagine the pain and confusion that Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha felt when the one they thought was the Son of God clearly seemed to have not come to help save their brother because Jesus said Lazarus' sickness was not unto death. This incident parallels many situations we can encounter today when it looks to us like God has in some way failed us. I hope you'll listen to this challenging study from the Gospel of John chapter 11 entitled, Can God Make a Mistake? Good morning. This is Pastor Lane Jones speaking for the Calkins Baptist Church. Have you ever thought that God made a mistake? Or maybe you thought that God's Word was wrong on an issue. If there ever was a case in the Bible where it seemed beyond all doubt that Jesus got a situation wrong, it would be concerning this incident involving the death of Lazarus in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. If you've ever thought that God made a mistake when it comes to something you've experienced, I'd encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and follow along with me as we go through this passage and talk about the subject, Can God Make a Mistake?, Before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study your word. Bless those who are willing to take the time to do it. Pray that you will answer some questions in people's minds that might result in growth for Christians and for the salvation of those that do not yet know you. We pray this for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sadly, sometimes we can convince ourselves that we can trust our judgment over God's. And... um, If, again, in John chapter 11, it's a very interesting situation. I'm starting it right at verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So what we find right away is that a close friend of Jesus was sick, and Christ had a special connection with his family. We're not sure all the uh, details of that, but he did really enjoy fellowship, and they're referred to different times in the Gospels, uh, Mary, her sister Martha, and um, also their brother Lazarus. Now, there's a number of Marys in the Bible. There's Mary, Jesus' mother. There's Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. This doesn't seem to be either one of those two ladies. This is a different Mary, and and we know her as Mary of Bethany. And uh, what we mean by that is that's the town that she and her sister Martha lived in with their brother Lazarus. And of course, in the ancient days, sickness could be a very, very serious thing as as there was not a lot of uh, understanding of of, um, how to treat people with antibiotics or anything like that. That wasn't really understood yet. So they had herbs and different things. But when someone got sick, especially if it was um, serious enough, their, their lives were in danger. And evidently, the ladies felt that that was the case with their brother. And so they send out a messenger. If you read 
verse 3, it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him. Now, we don't know who they sent, but there was an individual that they sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so in answer to this problem, Jesus made a very encouraging statement. Verse 4 says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that God, the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we see that Jesus already is saying that, um, uh, you know, it, it doesn't sound like Lazarus is going to die. So he says this sickness is not unto death, but Lazarus's sickness is for the glory of God. So God's going to use it in some way. And it also would be used to exalt Christ himself because he said that the Son of, of God may be glorified through it. So if I was the messenger... I would take this as a very encouraging message, maybe not understanding how God's going to be glorified or how Jesus is going to be glorified, but understanding especially the first part of the statement, which is that this sickness is not unto death. Let me go ahead and read verse 5 and 6 for you. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now let's stop for a second because there's some important details that we don't want to miss. First of all, you'll notice that, again, the sisters do not directly go to Jesus. They send a messenger. Now why I point this out is that when Jesus makes that encouraging statement in verse 4, um, I if I was the messenger and reporting back to the women what Jesus had said, um, I, I, that's what I would assume happened. The messenger comes back and he tells the tells the girls what Jesus said. We're not sure about the timing as to when the messenger got back, whether it was before or after Lazarus died. But it seems highly likely to me that the sisters heard of Jesus' words that sound very much like a promise that Lazarus will live. And so how would you take uh, this sickness is not unto death. I would take it that Lazarus is going to live. A second d detail that we need to make sure we don't miss is that Jesus delays his journey to Lazarus and his sisters due to his love for them. Now, let me read this to you again. It's in verse uh, f um, 5. It says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That doesn't almost make sense, does it? The fact is that it's saying that Jesus' motive, one of his motives for staying two extra days where he was and not getting to his friend Lazarus' side was his love for Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, how does Jesus delaying going to his friend's side when he was sick and dying. How does that demonstrate love? Well, that is really what the rest of the story is all about. And so we'll just have to hold that for a second. But I will tell you this, Jesus doesn't arrive. Uh, however long it took him once he did get started, he doesn't arrive on scene until four days after Lazarus's death. So let's place ourselves in this situation, and I think you'll see the issues that are just really going to jump out at you once you well, once you kind of put yourself there and, and look at it more clearly. I'll be the messenger, all right? So let's say that you can either be Mary or Martha, or if you're a man, probably not be comfortable with that. So we'll let you be another brother of Lazarus, okay? And so um, your brother is in trouble. You can tell that this sickness is, is pretty serious. And so you send me and you say, uh, Lane, get out there and, and, and get, find Jesus and tell him that the one you love, Lazarus, um, is sick. 
And so I do that. And I run out there and, um, and I find Jesus and finally am able to get up to him. And, uh, and so I, I tell you that uh, uh, Jesus tells me, and, and let me give you the quote again, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So I hang on to every word there. But when I get back, um, I notice there's a bunch of people that are that are crying. I mean, people that uh, maybe I know them, but they're they're not directly from the family. Um, I finally uh, find, let's say, I find Martha or find you, whoever you are, and I say, "Hey, what's what's up?" I um, and and you say, "Well, did you get to Jesus?" And I say, "Yeah, yeah, I did." But what did he say? Well, he said, "The sickness is not in the death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God may be glorified through it." And they kind of looked at you, sh- kind of shocked. And um, you and I say, "Well, what, what, why, what's going on?" And you, I look over, and they're preparing Lazarus's body to put it in the 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 coffer, and they're going to take him out because the Jews uh, bury the they're dead the same day. They're going to take him out into the tomb, and I'm and I'm 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 looking at this, and I'm just saying I don't understand because Jesus said his this sickness was not unto death. And I'm sure they were mystified by it too, but we all have got to help bury Lazarus. Let me give you a second scenario. Let's say that that I actually I got back to you, and again, you're one of Lazarus's uh, siblings. You're either his brother or you're one of the sisters. I get back to you before Lazarus dies. And um, I get back, and, and they say, did you find Jesus? And I say, yeah, I did. And they say, what did he say? And I say, he said that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And if you're Mary or Martha, you're, or Lazarus's brother, you're saying, great, then Lazarus, you're going to be okay. And maybe you go over to Lazarus and you say, hey, uh, Lazarus, you're going to be okay. So if I got back before Lazarus dies, unlike my first scenario, um, you're probably going to be telling Lazarus how you're going to feel better and, hey, sit up and see if you can take some nourishment. But um, as the time goes by, your relief turns into horror because Lazarus is not getting better. Lazarus only gets worse and eventually Lazarus dies. Now, as we're sitting around and we're watching this happen, how many times do you think you'd ask me, hey, do you remember, is that really what Jesus said? Can you give me his exact words? And I say again and again to you what he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And again and again, if, if you're one of the siblings, you're saying to yourself, well, how does this add up? I mean, Lazarus is dying. And then imagine you watch him take his last breath. And while all this is going on, finally, let's just say I verbalize it as the messenger that came from Jesus. And I say to you and the family, I, I, I say, I just can't understand how Jesus could get this case wrong. And immediately, maybe you speak up or Martha speaks up and looks at the other one, other siblings and says, look, Jesus did not get this wrong about Lazarus. If he would have come here in time, Lazarus would, would not have died. So again, maybe you're sitting there. I certainly, as the messenger, would be sitting there thinking to myself, well, um, that doesn't really explain it because Jesus didn't say 
if I get to Lazarus in time, he's going to live. What Jesus said was, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God uh, should be glorified, may be glorified through it. This sickness is not unto death. He didn't. He didn't add. If I get to Lazarus in time, this is, and and so it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And have you ever been there? Have maybe you've had a tragedy strike your family and. You look at it, and things could have gone the other way if God had chosen to do it. Maybe you prayed and thought God was going to answer in a way you wanted, and then it didn't happen. Or maybe even you had a promise you were claiming that you thought God said from his word, and and now you think it didn't prove true for you. Or maybe you've been an unbeliever all your life, and you were watching Almost kind of like on the sideline as one of God's children told you how God was going to work in a very serious situation. And and that very well-respected Christian that you know and maybe love obviously got it wrong because it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen. So you reason to yourself, well, either my dad or mom or whoever this person you respect is, even whoever it is, they either they got it wrong or their God is just a figure of of his or her imagination. Well, boy, if you ever were a believer, you can see how Mary and Martha's little attempt, I guess, to excuse Jesus for what looks like getting it wrong would be very hard to swallow. And now let me say this. It was hard for them to swallow. This was a, this was a severe, not only test in losing their brother, but then seeming to have Jesus saying to them that Lazarus wasn't going to die. Well, what happens next? Well, Christ begins to return to his friends. Now, remember, he waited two days on purpose. I'm sure there were other things that he was up to. I'm sure there were other people that he was helping. But the bottom line is, what John tells us is out of love for Mary and Martha and even Lazarus, he doesn't come right away. All right, so I'm picking up at verse 7 of John 11. It says, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you would have been glad that Jesus had been staying there two days, and you'd been hoping that would continue. Let me explain why. Verse 8 tells us, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? If you want to read that account, you just go back one chapter. The last time that Jesus uh, was in Jerusalem, uh, it, it, from from my understanding of his, of his of the chronology of his life, he had claimed to be God, and they were trying to find stones to to stone him to death when he slipped away. That's what the disciples seem to be referring to, and so again, putting yourself in one of their sandals, they're thinking. Wow, it'd be better if Jesus says Lazarus is going to be okay. Let's not go down there. Bethany was was not very far from Jerusalem. So you can see why the disciples themselves would be more than happy to uh, stay where they're at. And yet now Jesus, after two days of staying in the same spot, after saying that Lazarus is, um, is uh, the sickness is not in the death, now he says, well, let's go and we're going to um, uh, go back to Judea. So we're saying, Lord, I would just want to remind you, they tried to kill you last time uh, you were there. Jesus answered, verse 9, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
These things he said after he uh, said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, that one doesn't make much sense for the disciples either because, uh, again, well, let me, let me let them speak. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. So, again, why are we going? And uh, we really don't want to wake him up if he's sleeping. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was talk, speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, th now this even makes less sense, doesn't it? Here, Jesus is told that Lazarus was sick. His answer, uh, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified as well. Son of God will be glorified. Now, then he waits two days. Now he starts off toward um, Bethany, which is where Lazarus uh, lived, and um, he's headed back into dangerous territory, and now he tells the disciples that Lazarus has already died. So again, why, why even go with him? Well, Thomas kind of speaks for the group here. Verse 16, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And you see a couple things. First of all, you see Thomas is rather um, a negative uh, personality maybe, but at the same time, you can't blame him. That's exactly what had happened last time. They, there was a legitimate threat to kill Christ. And then secondly, uh, you got to see their loyalty too, because if Jesus is going to go there and risk dying, they're going with him. And so you see uh, the, the disciples' great love and loyalty toward the Lord as well in Thomas's statement. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Now, again, this is another reason why this was a very dangerous thing to do. Jerusalem, the capital of the nation of Israel, where some of the religious leaders had just attempted to kill him just a, a short while before, is only two miles away. And Jesus being, in all probability, the by far the most famous man in Israel at this point, there is no way they're going to consume, they're going to conceal the fact that Christ is there. If he's going to go to this public uh, scene of Lazarus's death, and so Jesus is really, humanly speaking, taking a tremendous uh, uh, chance here. So again, some more important details: Lazarus has been dead for four days now. Uh, Bethany, where. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived is only two miles from Jerusalem. And then uh, another detail here, um, it says that, and the many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So now you have a number of people from the area who have come to try to bring comfort. And so this is a very public event that Christ is walking into, um, and, and many would say at the risk of his life. Now, at this point, of course, you've got the grieving uh, sisters, Mary and Martha. And so Jesus, first of all, has a, a conversation with Martha. I find it very fascinating, uh, starting at verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. So Martha is uh, alerted to the fact that Jesus is coming. Now, did Mary get the same alert? Possibly. We're not really sure. But... Mary, if she did, decided to stay in the house. Maybe she's really struggling with Christ having said that her brother was not going to die, and then he died. We don't really know. But we do know 
that both Martha and Mary will talk to Jesus and they'll say basically the same thing, which indicates to me that they were discussing how do we reconcile the fact that it looks for all the world like Jesus got it wrong. Jesus said this sickness was not unto death and we're bar- we buried our brother four days ago. How do we not say that Jesus got it wrong? And so Martha kind of blurts out again as soon as she sees Jesus the um, the I guess they're the best thing they could figure as as ladies who really did believe in Christ verse 21 now Martha said to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and so that seems to be the best way that she could explain it and that is well you know it's he's, he's still kind of got it wrong because she said his sickness was not to death but if you'd have been here we know that he wouldn't have died But even now, and I love this about Martha, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. And I want you to think about this. Martha's faith has been really severely battered and bruised. She would have, if you asked her um, five days earlier, can Jesus' word be trusted? She'd have said, absolutely. Whatever he says, you can bank on it. And yet now, she heard Jesus say, again, through a messenger, that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. And Lazarus died. How do you reconcile that? And so Mar- Martha comes right out, the first that she sees Jesus, and she you got to hand it to her. She comes right out with her point of confusion. And that is, Lord... If you'd have been here, he hadn't died, but but he died. Now, she also, though, makes a statement of that her faith, though battered and bruised, is not shattered. She has not given up on Christ. So she says, and I like it, but even now, even after what I've just seen, not being able to explain why you didn't come or or why. Uh, Lazarus died when you said it was not unto death. I can't figure all that out. But I do believe even now that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, Jesus comes back and and, and he, he talks of resurrection. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So you'll notice that Martha has not thrown her faith in God out. She has not thrown her faith in Christ out, although she really doesn't know how this works with, with Jesus seemingly have had made a mistake or got it wrong in some way. And so Jesus now begins to talk to her again about his identity, who he really is. Jesus said to her, I'm in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now that's a mouthful. And I don't think, this is my personal opinion, I don't think Martha understood everything that Jesus just said to her. But let me just slow it down and break it down for you. Jesus says, first of all, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, so he's saying I am the key to to resurrection, to eternal life. He said that before in other uh, places in the Gospel of John, that that he's going to be the one to raise people from the dead. 
Then he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now that makes sense. If you believe in me, doesn't matter if you die on this earth, you're going to live again. Okay, I can get that. But then he says this, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. How does that work? Is he talking about the people that he resurrects from the dead? Well, certainly they never die. But could Martha maybe think he's talking about the person who's alive now and believing in him? Is he saying that that, that person will never die? Well, that's obviously not happened either. So I just don't know that Martha completely understood what he means by this. Certainly, we don't face eternal death, uh, but we as Christians, I again, I just buried my father a couple weeks back, and, and godly man, he be believed in Christ, and he died physically. So certainly, he's not just talking about the fact that, that you never die physically, because that happens to everybody. But it's interesting. He says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And we know this, that as the scriptures say, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that when my dad closed his eyes in death, he didn't cease to exist. He was right with Christ in heaven, where we never will need to ever feel sorry for him uh, in the presence of the Lord. And then Jesus says this, whoever believes in, lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a tough one, isn't it? I don't even know that Martha understood everything he said. But what's, how's she going to answer that? Here's what she says. Then she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Whatever Jesus just said, Martha is saying, and Jesus says, do you believe this? Martha said, Yes, I do. And it's not because Martha understood necessarily everything that Jesus said, but she knew, still knew, she could trust Jesus' word. That's faith. That really is faith. That's a person who, in, who despite going through a situation where she cannot figure out how God would keep his word because Lazarus, her brother, is dead. And Jesus had said the sickness was not in the death. She can't figure out how that works. But she says she's coming back to this reality. When I have things I don't understand, I'm going to hang on to what I do. And that is I know you are the Christ. That means you're the promised Savior. You're the promised Messiah. You are the Son of God. That means your deity, which should come into, who's come into the world. That's faith. Now, at this point, Martha wants to make sure Mary knows that Jesus is there. Um, and so, verse 28 says, And when she said these things, she went her way, secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, this is Mary, the other sister. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. So Martha had just kind of whispered in Mary's ear that the teacher has come speaking of Jesus and is calling for you. And so Mary 
immediately gets up, wants to go out and to see Jesus, although, again, she's still battling the same thing. It's like, why did Christ say this and it didn't happen? Um, so she gets up and she is headed out to Christ, and the, the ladies around her are weeping with her. Um, they're, they're not, they didn't hear what Martha had said, so they're assuming that Mary is just going back out to the tomb of her brother to weep there again and they're following her verse 32 then when mary came where jesus was and saw him she fell down at his feet saying to him lord if you had been here my brother would not have died again she's saying the same thing that martha said so i i really believe these sisters were talking together about this thing how do we explain this and that's the best they could come up with that jesus well um, his words don't seem to come to pass, but they would have come to pass if he had been there. And again, that's not a good reason, is it? But these are ladies who have seen Jesus work. They've seen the miracles that he's wrought. They they have a personal relationship with him through faith. They, they know who he is as the promised Messiah. And though uh, this is a fiery trial where they cannot figure out how God could have gotten this one right because their brother is dead. They're still hanging on to their faith. And so Mary, she heads out to, to speak to Jesus. It's interesting. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, we see here when Jesus is going to prove his word to be true in the next um, a few moments. But as 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 Mary is coming, and I just want you to picture the scene. She is weeping. Her um, friends around here are coming, and they're weeping. And this little procession is coming toward our Lord. And we see the Lord's emotions spoken of in the next several verses very graphically. The first one is where it says that he groaned in his spirit, or in the spirit, groaned in the spirit. And literally, that idea of groaning in the original language um, is seems to be indicating almost like shuddering in anger. Have you ever have you ever been so angry? Probably most all of us have been. Maybe it was at your brother or sister when you were a kid, or it can certainly be as an adult. You're so angry that you actually are trembling. Now you say, why would Jesus be so angry? Well, I do not believe that he is angry with Mary or with the people around her for grieving the loss of Lazarus. Uh, I think it's much more likely that Christ was enraged at the horrible suffering that is brought upon not just Mary and that little contingent that was coming with her, but that's brought upon all of us by Satan and by sin. Folks, we... we um. <laughs> How do I say it? We, as human beings, are in a sin-cursed world, and so often we don't really see how bad it is until the consequences smack us in the face. And how many people have just been destroyed by the death of a, of a husband or wife, have just uh, been, uh, just, their, their hearts have been broken by the death of a son or a daughter. I may be speaking to some that have gone through those experiences, and I, I even hate to bring it up because I, I know that it must uh, even quicken and awaken within your heart uh, the some pains that, that you wish you could get away from. 
But I'll tell you this, that it bothers the Lord. Sometimes we think that God just is kind of standing back and doesn't really care uh, when people suffer. Uh, let me just say that is not so. Um, you know, many people say something like that. Where was God? When this or that happened, I will tell you that when Jesus will go to the cross, and it's not very far from this event, by the way, he's getting he's getting close to the time when he will lay down his life on the cross. And one of the things that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah about Jesus going to the cross, it's in chapter fifty three of of his of his book, Isaiah chapter fifty three. And uh, verse 4 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Which means that when Jesus is dying for the sins of mankind, he is dying for not merely what the, the, the what we would call the sin itself, but he's dying for the consequences of that sin, including all of the grief that you and I go through. And I will tell you, as, as many of you know, that the grief of of a loss of a of a of a dear one to your heart can just can really break your spirit and it seems that our lord as he's seeing mary is coming and her her friends coming with her and they're weeping he's not merely thinking of them although he's certainly thinking of them but more than that he's thinking about all of us the fact is he's about to end the grief of these people and turn it into joy but i'll there are just millions upon millions of people that have come to the grave of the loved one and and in god's plan they're not going to get that comfort that day their loved one is going to stay in the grave and he's shuddering in anger over this it bothers him the effects of sin you say, well, why doesn't God just snap his finger and take the effects of sin away? Well, that's not how it works. God is a holy God. And I think if you if you understand and, and, and think about it, you, you have loved ones and many times, and maybe this would be even yourself, you, you get into a, a, a mode of rebellion against God. You, you decide you're not going to uh, work. You're going to just do your own thing and try to make yourself happy every day. And, and you're not interested in, in, in serving others and helping others. Let me tell you, you can get miserable in a hurry. Some of you have been through those dark waters. It's when you start living for self and and your own happiness and your own desires and just just draw within your little turtle shell whatever works for me i'll tell you that's a lonely and that's a sad life and the reality is you brought it on yourself so our lord it's it's not that we aren't responsible for our sin we are but it bothers christ that people are suffering and people are are grieving over over the loss of a loved one. It says he shuddered in anger. The idea of, of groaning in his spirit. And then it says he was troubled. And that idea of troubled is the same word that is used to describe Jesus' reaction to thinking about Judas betraying him. That kind of troubled feeling. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed, but if there was anyone who was innocent and, and completely betrayed, it would be Christ himself with Judas. That's the word that's used when it says he was troubled. So he, he is shuddering in anger, it seems. He is troubled. You'll also notice the emotion of, of, of weeping. Then he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
I've often thought about this. Why is he weeping? Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And of course he could have. Why is Jesus weeping? Again, I think it's connected with the fact that he's not only seeing the, the, uh, the, the sorrow over the, his friend Lazarus's death, but he's seeing, as only he could, down through the ages, the, the, the uh, countless people who have been in the same spot weeping and, and bereaved and distraught over the loss of a loved one. He may also be weeping over their lack of faith. Some are saying, well, could he not have kept this man alive? And, and some seem to be indicating that they have faith, but they all didn't have faith there. We'll see that in a little bit. And many of them would be even rebellious against God's, against God's work in this situation. And I think this, too, is interesting to me. Jesus is not just weeping, obviously, for us all. He's weeping for these people, too. That's what He's there in front of them. He sees the grief over Lazarus. And isn't it interesting that although he is moments away from ending all of that sorrow over the loss of Lazarus by when he will raise him from the dead, isn't it interesting that he still is compassionate over the grief that they are experiencing now? Now, there's one other expression of his emotion. It's in verse 38 where it says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. Now, that idea of groaning in himself is the same word that was up above about shuddering in anger. So think about the fact that in this that time he was, like shut, he was groaning in his spirit. This time it's called groaning in himself. And so it seems like he has a little more inward control of this thing. It's it's just as heavy on his heart, but he's controlling it more. He's in front of all these people, and so he's just he's just angered at at the suffering due to sin here, at the suffering of people when at the death of a loved one that that really would not have to be if we weren't sinners, but it's in society something that he came to put away with, for uh, for us from forever uh, when he returns. And so this time it seems to indicate that uh, with the crowd around him, that, that, that anger he's feeling is, is felt within. And as I see it, he's about, again, to solve the sorrow of the loss of Lazarus in fulfillment of his word when he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Still, Lazarus was going to die eventually, wasn't he? This resurrection wasn't going to be forever. It was going to be to resurrect, resurrect Lazarus to live again like a human being until at some point down the road um, he, would, he would physically die. And so this resurrection isn't what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to an eternal resurrection where whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So the sorrow and the consequences of sin, our sin, our rebellion against God, Jesus is seeing that. It's bothering him. But a holy God does have consequences for sin. So he's standing there. He's still groaning in himself. Then John adds this detail. It was a cave where Lazarus is buried. And a stone lay against it. By the way, that's very similar to where Jesus would be placed um, a few days later. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Now we see Jesus' power be, be, uh, beginning to be displayed. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Uh, the Jews didn't typically embalm, and and so the body would have been um, decomposing. It would have not been a pretty sight at all. That I guess they were just assuming that Jesus wanted to go in and in some way be near the body of Lazarus or something. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Remember how he said this sickness is not a death, but for the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that, I, that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Remember how he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you had seen this man buried, and many of these people had? You'd been with the ladies, mourning with them over the loss of their brother. You've been there. You've seen all this. And now Jesus comes up to the, to the grave, to this cave, tells him, roll away the stone and calls Lazarus back from the dead? Remember now what Jesus said. This sickness is not of the death, so now Lazarus is alive. He's not going to stay dead from this sickness. This sickness is not of the death, but for the glory of God, and you can bet God's glorified in this, and that the Son of God may be glorified thereby, and that's exactly what happened. Now, let me say this. Before Jesus stepped to that grave, there was no way in the world you thought that God could keep his word. But he did. And Martha, though she her explanation was wrong, she's trying to rationalize this thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, well, then your word would have worked. Nope. God didn't need any changes of circumstances. When God said the sickness was not of the death, Lazarus is going to come out on the other side of this sickness alive, which he did. God is glorified. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. And the Son of God is glorified by it. That's exactly what happened. Now, what are the results of the miracle? So now we see God did keep his word in every detail. When it seemed, from all from all ways of looking at it, there's just no way you're expecting that there's a possibility that God had kept his word. Well, what's the reaction to this? Verse 45, Then many of the Jews who came, who'd come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Now there's again the fulfillment that the Son of God would be glorified. So now there are people coming to the Lord and being saved. They're actually believing on him as Messiah. But some of them went away to the Pharisees. Now these Pharisees are beginning more and more to become Jesus' enemies. Not all of them, but many of them. They went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. 
When they're saying signs, they're saying miracles. And when, when, when it talks about the Pharisees and the and a, a council with the chief priests, now we're talking about the biggest leaders leaders in the nation of Israel. These are the the top leaders. And in their system, remember that it's it's kind of politics and religion are are united. So these are different religious sects, but they're also the ones that um, rule the, 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 the nation as much as they can under the Roman Empire. So they had a group of 70 individuals, kind of like our Senate, called the Sanhedrin, and that was their main ruling body. They were not allowed to have a king under Roman rule. So here they are. They've, they're gathering. They're starting to gather the biggest leaders of the nation. And their concern is, what do we do? Because this man is working many miracles. Now, what they should have done is bowed down on their knees and said, Lord, you must be the Messiah. We want to turn from our sins. What do you want us to do? But that wasn't an option to them. Many, many of them, they just weren't going to let that happen. We're not going to humble ourselves before God. So they go on. They say, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. Now, there's a great excuse, isn't it? And that is, well, you know, there have been false messiahs before. Romans have put them down. This has happened before. And also it leads to all kinds of violence. And the Romans are just going to come in and just wipe us out if we try to set Jesus up as the Messiah. So now they're beginning to look at this as a national security issue um, that Jesus is really a problem. Verse 49. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, so he's the top leader in the country, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So here is the top religious leader in the country, really political as well, leader in the country, the high priest, saying, well, it looks like um, we one person is going to have to die so that we can Preserve the whole nation. Speaking of Jesus, we're going to have to eliminate Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. John is saying it wasn't an accident that the high priest said this, that actually God was, in a sense, speaking through him. And the fact that Jesus would die for not only the nation of Israel, but for people all across the world. He would die for the sins of the world. Verse 53, then on, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So now instead of a few people here and there among the religious leadership who were um, talking in, in very violent terms about getting rid of Christ or trying to set him up and, and kind of informally uh, uh, gathering a group to try to stone him when he said certain things they didn't like, instead of that kind of reaction, now you have the very top leadership in the country openly talking about the fact that they need to eliminate Jesus of Nazareth for the good and the security of the country. So now from that day on, isn't it interesting that while God is glorified and Jesus is exalted and souls were saved as a result of the miracle 
of Lazarus being raised from the dead four days after his death. Others were further hardened due to that very same miracle. So verse 53 tells us again that miracle actually was the catalyst uh, that began open plotting by the very top religious leaders to put Jesus to death. Now they're going to talk about it openly and plan it, when I say openly, among themselves. They're, they're definitely not trying to spread this word across the country, but they're now going to plot with each other and with that group on how to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth. And the, and the thing that caused it was one of the greatest miracles he performed uh, on, in his earthly ministry, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Therefore, the Jews no longer, excuse me, therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. And so now we see the plan beginning to take place as they're trying to think of a way to kill Jesus of Nazareth. What do we conclude from all this? Well, first of all, God out of love may send you major times of tragedy and confusion. That's exactly why he did this with Mary and Martha. He did it to actually, in love, bring them to an even greater level of faith where they could now say, now again, we talked earlier, five days before you know this, these events, if you asked Mary and Martha, can you trust Jesus' words? They'd have said, absolutely you can trust Jesus' words. But then their faith was, was pretty shaken, wasn't it? When, when, it, when Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness is not in the death, Lazarus dies. But boy, when you come to the other side of this incident, and now they watched God perform and keep his word by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now they have even greater confidence that whatever God says can be trusted. So God out of love may send you through some major times of tragedy and confusion, but it's not to destroy your faith. It is to build your faith if you know him as Lord and Savior. Let me give you a second conclusion. That is, God will keep his word even when it seems impossible for him to do it. And I will just say that there's many times when, when even Christian people get shaken on this. And it can happen to any one of us. But that's the reality, that God will keep his word even when it seems impossible for him to do it. You know why? Because he is good, he is faithful, and he's powerful enough to do whatever he says. Um, a third thing we'd have to conclude from this is God's obvious works cause some to be saved, but others to be hardened. And really, that's going to be your choice. People saw and knew Lazarus was dead. Lazarus walked out of the grave at the command of Christ. The Pharisees knew it. The chief priests knew it. But they didn't, unfortunately... Many of them, most of them, did not repent and turn to the Lord. Instead, they actually hardened their hearts all the worse. Now, that means this, that some of you may have foolishly thrown out your faith in God for far less of a reason than faced Mary and Martha. Um, 
Why did they hang on to their faith at such odds? You know what I mean? Why did they keep why did Martha keep saying, I know this, you're the Christ, the Son of God that should come into the world? How could she say that after it seemed for all the world like Jesus didn't keep his word to her? Well, I just have to say this, they knew Christ personally. And when I say that, not just that they talked to him, because a lot of people had talked to him, but they these sisters understood who Jesus was. They saw him do enough miracles and maybe what he did in their own lives that now they, they you just couldn't shake them from that. It, yeah, we don't understand. It, it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is the Christ. We know that. We're not dropping that. Why? Because they knew him. They knew his character well enough to know that they should love him, that they can trust him. And I would gently suggest to you my friend, if if you've thrown your faith away over something that you think God didn't keep his word, may I just suggest to you that it may very well be because you really don't know him at all. Because if you know him, you'll know that you, you really can't. You just can't throw your faith away. You just can't. I say, well, how do I... How, where do I go from here? If I, if if I, you know, God's speaking to my heart, I can feel Him speaking to my heart. Well, let me give you a couple things. First of all, go down to a bookstore if you don't have a Bible and get one, and begin to humbly and prayerfully read it with this thought: Lord, show me what to do, and I'll do it by Your grace. But start reading the Bible again. Some of you need to find a, a Bible preaching church. You've walked away from church a long time ago. You need to find a place where you're going to hear the Word of God taught, and you can have fellowship with some genuine Christian people. Now, don't expect the church to be a wax museum where everybody's perfect. Expect it to be a hospital where you got sick people and you got some healthy people in there. And so find the healthy ones and latch on to them and get some good fellowship with some Christian people. And then if God has used this message to rekindle your faith, you said, you know what, this is true. Christ can be trusted. I'd encourage you to get down on your knees and tell God about it. Tell them, Lord, I need to, to renew my faith or I need to, to put my faith in you. I need to repent of my sins and trust Christ. I want, I want to have that faith in, in, in you as my Lord and Savior. I want to serve you. Because I'll tell you this, no matter what it looks like to you at the time, God will always keep his word. May the Lord bless you. If you'd like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again, the link to our podcast is at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Lasting life and light, he frees.